Galatians 4 and Romans chapter 1. Galatians 4 and Romans chapter 1. And give you a second to get there and then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll get rolling this morning. All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being very merciful to us. And God, we thank you for a good week. Lord, thank you, God, for your grace, Lord. And I pray you help us this morning as we open up the scripture, Lord, as we open up your word, God, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would guide us. God, I pray that, Lord, you'd show us, God, how we might be approved unto you, Lord. Help us, God, to know, Lord, uh, what things, God, Lord, we can do, God, that would bring us into conformity with your will. And God, Lord, with your expectations for us, God, help us, Lord, to have teachable hearts, help us to have humble hearts. And Lord, we'll thank you for everything, Lord, that you show us this morning. God, Lord, truly you are deserving of all the glory and honor, God, Lord. And we pray that you'd help us this morning, God. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory and honor for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 4. Let's just read one verse. Look here in verse 7. The Bible says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And then Romans chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. So last week what we did is we really uh, went back and started a basic study, which has really been a blessing to me. Basics are always a great blessing. You'll never be any stronger in anything than you are in the basics. If you want to be a good musician, you've got to really understand the basics of music theory and you also have to be very good at, at the technical uh, execution of those things. So uh, basics are, uh, don't, don't be afraid when somebody starts talking about basics. It's like Brother Mike said when he was here, John 3.16, a lot of preachers shy away from that. But that's really where you should run to as often as you can. And so anyways, we started last week about uh, looking at the basics of who we are as Christians. And so we started looking at this thing in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, the Bible plainly tells you that you're a son, that, that that's who you are. And then Romans chapter 1, Paul being our example, he says that he was a servant and he was also an apostle. And so we, we take those things and we can make application to ourselves. And that's what we intend to do in this study. And we've started to do that. Now, I think I mentioned this last week. And let me just mention it one more time because of the society in which we live, the age in which we live. Uh, you hear that term apostle and it, it'll make you very uncomfortable if you're familiar with who's being identified as apostles today. You know, you go down to Jacksonville and you probably don't have to go that far. You probably just go, uh, might even be right here in Folkestone, but you know, there's apostle so-and-so and apostle so-and-so. Well, we don't, we, we're not talking about uh, people that are, we're not talking about being apostles in the sense of being able to heal people or being able to take up deadly serpents. Some of y'all might take up deadly serpents, but you're crazy. I recommend taking up deadly serpents after you shot them with a 12 gauge. And even then, you should probably leave them alone. I don't even trust a dead snake, much less a live one. But anyways, uh, boy, that make you want to say a whole lot about that. But we don't want to do that this morning. But when, we, when we're talking about apostleship, we're not talking about those kinds of things. What we're talking about is power having power. And, and so I gave you a little, uh, a really brief outline. You, hopefully you remember it or maybe wrote it down. And if you don't, that's okay. That's why we're going to 
review it just briefly this morning. With sonship, what you basically have is leadership. And that's what he says here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And we looked at Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn over there with me, you can. I'll give you a second to get there. While you're turning, I'm going to shut this door because I'm a little OCD. <clears throat> but Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he said, for as, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so basically sonship equates to leadership. Now sonship equates to a lot of different things. But for the purposes of this study, what I want you to understand is that when we're talking about sons, we're talking about somebody that's leadable, somebody that's teachable. And we'll get into that a little bit more this morning. Uh, but I could give you this illustration. I think everybody in here would identify with it if you've ever had kids or if you've ever been a kid yourself, which I take it for granted everybody's been a kid. Unless you're an alien from Mars, then we probably got questions about you anyway. Uh, but if you've ever been a child, you know that somebody's been providing you leadership at some point in your life. And really, uh, this, is, this, is, this is really a great, this, this is a great uh, this is a great principle for you to understand that, that that and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's OK because we're here. So let me just say this. You learn how to be leadable in your childhood. And that's something that you'll never get over. You never get over that. And some people are robbed of that opportunity. Either mom and daddy robbed that of them or maybe they robbed it of themselves. Maybe they was hardheads. Maybe they was rebels. Every man's a rebel. He's born that way. He's born a rebel. Uh, mama says, don't do this. Daddy says, don't do this. Or mama says, do this. You know, make your bed. If I could use an illustration from my own life. Make your bed. Why? Well, that's not necessarily re rebellion. But that is that question why. Not always. Not always. Just because a kid asks why doesn't mean he's necessarily re a rebel. Uh, well, there's so many things coming to mind this morning. I'll just take it as from the Lord. We, we estimate that kids are rebels because they ask why. Well, let me ask you something. Do you want to do things that you don't understand the motive behind? I don't. Boy, it sure got quiet right there. I guess maybe y'all waiting for me to elaborate a little bit. Let me elaborate since you're waiting on it. I had a teacher in college. I, I did two semesters of college, and my second semester I did biology too, and that was when they had us dissecting fetal pigs and those bullfrogs that are about that big, and they inject their, their, their blood system with, you know, dye that makes their veins turn blue and their arteries turn red. And I said, I'm done. I'm done with college. I'll go cut hair. Uh, so I, but, but in my first semester, I took a calculus course, and my professor, I was telling somebody about that this past week, and his name was Mike Shirazi. I don't know where he was from, but it wasn't Earth. And this, this guy, everybody said, you want to pass calculus? You need to take this guy's class. And I said, okay, I want to pass calculus. I'm not very inclined to calculus, so I'll take this guy's class. So I sat in this guy's class, and the way that he taught the class was, Here's this problem. Here's your problem in your textbook. And he turned around on the whiteboard or chalkboard. I don't remember what it was. And he went from one section of the whiteboard and worked the problem out that way and said, all right, now you do it. And I'm sitting here saying, what do you mean me do it? I don't understand what you even did. 
well, you know, he turns around and gives some brief explanation of, well, we're doing this, this, and this, and this. And in my question, I'm asking, why? I want to know. I want to know why. I have never been able to operate as far as learning things. I've never been able to operate with, hey, this is the way that it is. I think I got that from my daddy. My daddy's very analytical. But I just, I, I would like to know. When I was little, my mom and dad told me to do some things, and I had to accept that. But thankfully, I had a mom and daddy that when I became 12, 13, 14, they started really explaining some things. My mama did, but my daddy especially did. You know, this is what we told you, and this is why. When somebody would do a stupid thing, he'd say, that's dumb, and this is why. Hey, you see that guy right there? That's a wise man. Did you see what he did in this situation? That's why he's wise. That helped me. And so a lot of times when kid, I got on that by saying, a lot of times when a young person asks why, it's not necessarily being a rebel. So don't, don't necessarily assume that. Uh, if I stood up and said something, if I stood up and said something from the pulpit and you came to me and said, why? Oh, you're just a rebel. No, I'm an incompetent pastor. Ain't that right? Hmm. Either that's conviction or maybe you don't understand. Now, I'm going to take it as conviction or maybe you, your wheels is turning this morning. I, ho I hope you are. I'm not, this is not, well, I won't say that because maybe it is intended to be a rebuke. The Lord knows. But, hey, just, you know, don't, just because somebody asks why, that don't necessarily mean that they're a rebel. However, it could mean that. It could mean. Why do we have to do that? I better get on with this or we're not going to be able to get through the study. I've already wasted seven minutes, so let, let's not do that anymore. But uh, I believe all that stuff probably needed to be said. I don't know for what reason, but we'll trust the Lord with it. So with, with sonship, I got on all that by saying, when you learn, when you grow up as a, as a young person and somebody teaches you to be leadable or you learn how to be leadable, that's something that you never get over. And what I mean by that is for the rest of your days, uh, some of you fellas sitting in here, and I'm not going to make too much eye contact, but some of you fellas are up in your years and you're still being led. Maybe, maybe not to the same capacity and in the same way that you were when you was five or six or six, 16 or, uh, you know, 26, maybe not in the same capacity, but you're still taking leadership from somebody. See, that's something that you never get over. That's something that you never get past. And I will say this, if you don't learn to be leadable, if you don't learn to take, if you don't learn to take that position of being a son, then it's going to be very difficult for you. I'm not saying you can't get over it, but it's going to be very difficult for you to get over that. It's, it's going to be very difficult. Some people know everything. And that's hard. That's hard to get over. But, but you have to. You, you have to get over that. You ha if you want to do anything in your life, we could stop right now and just dismiss which I, I'm not going to do that, but just for the sake of the point this morning, we could dismiss the fact of talking about anything spiritual, which you can't really do that. Uh, spiritual truths govern the entire universe. Uh, boy, that's a, that's a loaded statement. 
That's why this world's so messed up, by the way. But we could, we could try and dismiss the fact of, you know, this is a spiritual thing and just say, hey, this is just practical. This is just day-to-day life. And if you're not leadable, if you're not leadable, if you can't take instruction, uh, you're worthless. That's a little strong. No, that's true. You're worthless. Whether it's strong, whether it might be whatever, you're worthless. And you will be worthless until you learn how to take instruction from somebody because you don't know everything. You don't know everything. You don't know half of what you think you know. And the same thing goes for myself. I I find a lot of times I overestimate my knowledge. I, I do this often. Can I just make a confession? I do this often with my wife. I estimate that my wife does not think about things. I did it last night. I was telling her, hey, you need to make sure you do this, this, and this. And she said, I've already thought about this, 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 and this. And I said, okay, time for me to go to bed. You just, you overestimate what you think you know. And until you're willing to be corrected about that stuff, and you're worthless. Amen. Did that improve the spirit in here this morning? It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. So with sonship, let's get back to this. With sonship, you have leadership. And then Paul says in Romans 1, you're a servant. So there's works. There's labor. You're not just leadable. Here's, here's a guy who's leadable, but you can't ever do it, get him to do anything. Here's a guy that's willing to be taught, but he won't ever get off his rump and do something. What good's that going to do? Well, at, at least he's learnable. At least he's enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. But as far as getting rewards at the judgment seat, as far as seeing things accomplished in your life, you're not going to have much of that because you're not a servant. You see what I'm saying? And then on top of that, now you have being an apostle. Now, you know that it's possible to try and do something for the Lord and to do it without power. And that's a big statement in and of itself, and we'll cover that a little bit more. But just want you to get those things back in your mind. It's a son, your son, uh, a child of God, you could say, to not be exclusive of the ladies. You're, so you're a son, there's leadership, you're a servant, there's works, and then you're an apostle, there's power. And you want all three of those. You want to be all Three of those, and we're going to look at those things. Now, what we did last Sunday is we went through this thing of uh, there's an order, and I know that we hit Galatians 4 first and then Romans 1, and I know that Romans comes before Galatians, but theologically for this study, it's a son first. You're a son first. Sonship comes before service. You remember us going over that thing, over that idea, I trust, and the whole idea that you don't be a servant before you're a son. Uh, service does not equate to sonship. Well, I serve God. Well, that doesn't mean that you're a, a son. That's a, that's a very damnable error, uh, error to have in your mind that, well, I'm doing all this stuff for God, and therefore that makes me a son. No, it does not. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. It's funny, man. You like all these gifts around Christmas time, but when it comes to the gift of salvation, you pitch a fit. And if that's the case, if that's your case, if you pitch a fit about the fact that salvation is a free gift, there's only one reason you pitch a fit. And I don't care if you feel like I'm uh, profiling you. I'm telling you, according to the Word of God, this is why. It's because you're proud. You're stuck on yourself. 
I can earn my salvation. No, you can't. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And listen, some folks realize that. We don't, we don't like that. We're not trying to glory in the fact that every man at his best state is altogether vanity. As a matter of fact, a lot of folks recognize how worthless they are, and they're trying to do something about that. But that's the place you have to come to first before you can get anywhere with God. I'm a worm. I, that's what David said. I am a worm. Probably one of the best men you've ever read about in, in all of history. Who else, who else did God ever talk about and say, this guy's a man after my own heart? He said that about David. And David said, I'm a worm and no man. Best Christian that ever lived, Paul the Apostle. I am the chief of sinners. Well, see, that's the attitude that you first have to come to. And that is the doorway. That is the doorway. That is the first threshold that you cross over to become a son of God. That's a great blessing. Then after that, you've got service. And so we looked at those things. So you've got service uh, does not equal sonship, but sonship does lead to service. And that's about where we closed last Sunday looking at this thing with Paul. Paul uh, was converted, excuse me, on the road to Damascus. And the first question out of his mouth after he was converted, when he realized who God was, Jesus Christ, who art thou, Lord, is what he said. And that voice from heaven said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Well, that was all he needed to know. D Paul understood that there was a God. He understood that there was a, a correct way to worship God. He understood that there was all kinds of things. He just wasn't convinced that this Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He wasn't convinced of that. But the day that the Lord, the day that God spoke to him out of heaven and identified himself as Jesus Christ, he said, okay, that, that's good enough for me. Then the next question out of his mouth was, what you want me to do? And so being a son will lead to service. It will lead to service. Uh, it, it really creates a conflict in my mind, and I really believe it, it, it produces a conflict in the person's mind who would take this attitude of, and this is the attitude of, well, I'm saved, and so therefore now I get to do anything that I can do. I don't, you know, I shouldn't worry about, uh, you know, being a legalist. Let me use that term because that's really common in this part of the country. I think it's common all over the country, but this is where I live, so this is what I know. You know, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. My sins are forgiven, so now I don't have to concern myself with being a legalist. Well, what that does is, that is that's going to create a conflict in your mind because the natural process is who you are leads to some kind of activity. Ain't that right? Who you are leads to some kind of activity. Well, if you try to break the activity off from the nature of the thing, then you're going to look in retrospect, you're going to look in hindsight and say, well, am I really that thing? I don't know if you followed me there, but let, let me put it to you like this. Let's say that you go to school and you develop the skill of being an electrician. And then somebody comes to you and says, hey, you want to come wire my house? And you say, no. Well, uh, hey, I got some stuff. I got some wiring in my house that needs to be taken care of. Would you mind coming and taking a look? No. Well, you keep doing that for about five years. And you're going to soon enough get to the point to where you say, I'm not so sure I'm an electrician or not. 
I went to school for it. I developed the skill, quote unquote, but I've never really done anything. And I believe that's where a lot of Christians are. You trusted Christ and listen, listen to me, listen to me. If you trusted Christ, you're saved. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what, whatever may be going on in your mind. And that's a, that's a great blessing. It's, tor- it's torment for you, but the blessing is that God's not dependent on your understanding to determine whether you're saved. You understand what I'm saying? But it's torment for you because you don't know. Am I really saved or am I not? Well, some of that, and, and I'm not going to say that this is true about everybody. I'm not going to throw a blanket statement out there. There might be other things, but I will say this. I believe a lot of struggle comes in for folks wondering, did I really get saved? And where it, what it boils down to is you've never done the works that's associated with the nature of who you've been made to be. You were made somebody in Christ. The Bible says Christ, Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, he went about doing good. Well, if you go about doing evil, you're going to have a hard time identifying with the person who went about doing good. Amen. That's true. That, that's true. And so what's going to surface in your mind is a lot of doubt. I'm not so sure I'm a Christian or not. Well, uh, here's how to help yourself out with that. You need to know, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What, what are you trusting in to justify you in the sight of God? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in what you're doing or are you trusting in what Jesus Christ did? You say, well, I'm trusting in what Christ did. Okay, that's salvation. Now, get off your rump and get busy. Work like a madman. Yes, sir. Pray for four hours a day. Read 360 pages in your Bible every day. Pass out a thousand tracts every day. You say, Brother Nathan, I can't do that. Aim high, baby. Yes, sir. Aim high. And while, you, while you're doing all that stuff, pray and say, God, my feelings are so jaded. I'm so messed up in my mind. I need some help. I need you. Lord, all I know is that you told me to read my Bible, pray, witness, go to church. I'm doing these things. I really need some answers. I'm doing this stuff by faith. Because you don't feel it. I'm doing it by faith. God, help me. Give me some answers. Give me some assurance. And if I'm lost, show me. <laughs> uh, it'd be a shame for a lost person to be doing more than most saved folks is doing. Uh, but hey, hey, you know what? I'm way off my notes, but I believe this is right where we need to be. I believe this is coming down from the heavens. You know, here's a lost man in the book of Acts chapter 10. He's a lost man. He's a lost man. And he's more dedicated than some Christians that are alive today. And you know what God did? God didn't let that guy die and go to hell without a witness. God didn't let that guy die and go to hell without sending him somebody to say, hey, those good works are works, but that's not salvation. This is what's salvation. That was Simon Peter. Hey, if you're worried about that thing, and I, God knows my heart, man, I'm not trying to beat you up about that. I don't even know where this is all coming from this morning because it ain't nowhere in my notes. But listen, if you're worried about that thing this morning, get off your rump and do something about it. You know what a lot of people do? They say they're worried about stuff, but they're not worried enough to do anything about it. They're worried enough to murmur and complain about it, and that's as worried as they are. Well, all you're going to do is keep worrying for the rest of your life. That's all you're going to do. 
when you get to the place to where you're worried enough to do something about it, God's going to say, well, hey, this guy's earnest. This guy's interested. Let me send him a gospel preacher. Now, if you, if you say that you're earnest and you're not coming to church, if you say you're earnest and you're not reading your Bible, God's not really going to have a way of talking to you. God is not going to send an angel to you and say this is the way, because Paul said, Galatians chapter 1, though we are an angel from heaven, if we preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. You have the answers. You have the answers. I believe this is some of what it boils down to. I believe some of what it boils down to is folks don't believe that God can speak to them the same way out of the scripture that he can speak to your preacher, but he can. And not only can he, he wants to. God wants to talk to you. God wants to speak to you. One of the greatest blessings that I had this past week was sitting down over here on the couch and Madison, a little girl, She's not really a little girl. She's a married lady now. But it's really hard for me not to look at her like, at, as this annoying little child that used to call me pet squishy. <laughs> uh, she sure does. But I, I love her, man. I, I love that, that young lady. And I feel a little weird calling her young lady because she's not too much younger than I am. But anyways, one of the greatest blessings I had this week was sitting down with her on one side and her husband standing up and her daddy sitting on the other side of me. And she took Jeremiah and Daniel and t tied two verses together. And I sat there and thought, hmm, that's good. And her daddy sat right there next to me and said, he said it out loud. He said, that is good. He's, and he made this statement. He said, God will speak to anybody like that if they'll just open their Bible and read. Yeah. And listen, I'm telling you, if you don't take nothing else away from this Sunday school this morning, maybe this is the whole point of the Sunday school hour. We're about halfway through. But I say this, God can talk to you that way and God wants to. Listen, there's things in that book that God may not show me until 50 years from now. If I survive that long, God will show you tomorrow if you'll just open it up and read. Let him that readeth understand. I don't understand. Are you reading? And listen, when you start reading, it's not just reading black words on white paper. It's, it's a thing of reading with the intent of getting in touch with God. I said read 360 pages in your Bible. You do as the Lord leads. If it's three pages, do as the Lord leads. If it's 30 pages, do as the Lord leads. Figure that stuff out with God. But when you read, Read to get in touch with God. You got problems? Anybody here got problems this morning? Anybody got things that you need answers about? Okay, well, get down on your knees before you read and say, God, I need some answers. God, I got problems that I don't know about, but I know you know about them. God, would you help me? God will talk to you. God will talk to you. Boy, I'm just worried about that preacher being mad at me. Hey, God will talk to you even if your preacher is mad at you, which I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. But even if, if I was, God will talk to you. Amen. That's a great blessing. I take great comfort in that. I've had some preachers mad at me before, and God still talked to me. It's a great blessing. It's a great blessing. All right. So let me say this. Let, let's get on now with the notes, and unless the Lord... Uh, Sends me something else to say. Let me say this. We talked about how sonship comes before uh, being a servant. Let me say this. Sonship comes before being an apostle. It comes before being an apostle. Being a son comes before having power. 
A lot of people get hung up on this thing of wanting power. And that's what witchcraft is all about. That's what seances is all about. That's what Ouija boards are all about. That's why you should be very cautious messing around with that stuff. My kids asked me this past week, you know, Daddy, why can't we watch Star Wars? And I, I've said it from the pulpit before because I, I'm not trying to be something different than who I am. I'd watch Star Wars in a hurry because I like it. It's pretty awesome to watch Luke Skywalker move a boulder across the yard. But, across the yard, across the galaxy, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch that kind of stuff. But I'll be honest, in my own mind, I'm a little nervous about that stuff because it seems a little bit too much like magic to me. That, that really is personal. I've, I've preached about that here in this church before, and I, I would recommend that you pray about those things. I, I really... I would rather, it's okay to borrow your preacher's convictions. There's nothing wrong with that. But I recommend praying about that stuff. Because to me, it really looks, it really looks like magic. And what that is, what that stuff really revolves in is an attempt to get power before you become a son of God. When you become a son of God, there's power. Is there not? But it's not the kind of power to do all of this physical stuff, and I don't know how else to say it other than that, it's the, the, the large concentration of power that you're getting from being a son of God is moral. Let me ask you something. What good would it do if you could choke somebody out with ever putting your hands on them like Darth Vader, but you couldn't control the thoughts of your own heart and mind? Every lady you look at, you lust after but you've got this power, you know, to move, to jump tall buildings with a single. What good's that going to do? Amen. You know, that's what Genesis 6 is about. Genesis chapter 6, you know, some folks say that it's, you know, one thing or another. I'm not even going in that direction, but I know this. I know that this is what the Bible says. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. They chose them wives. They came in unto them, and were, there were born unto them mighty men of renown, strong men. The Bible gives you an example of what a mighty man of renown is in very, very close to that passage. It's Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. That's, that's what he's called, Nimrod. He was the guy who headed up the Tower of Babel, Babel. If you go through, he founded a city in the land of Shinar. He founded Babel. And then in the next chapter, you've got all that stuff. Hey, let's build a tower that, whose top will reach unto heaven. He's a mighty man of renown. David has some men that were mighty men. But you know, right there in Genesis 6, with those mighty men of renown being produced, whoever those sons of God were, whoever they were, those mighty men of, those sons of God coming in unto the daughters of men, the mighty men of renown, it's not, it's not too much longer to where God has to send a worldwide flood to wipe out the whole place. Why? Because they couldn't get things accomplished? No, it's because they could get things accomplished, but they were reprobates. Hey, God. Boy, we're ruining this Sunday school lesson, but this sure is fun. I'm having the time of my life. Listen, you can think. You know how much men can get accomplished in a hundred years of their lifespan? A lot, a lot. If you, if you grow a garden, Brother Michael, and you do that for 60 years, 
the information that you can pass down to your son, and then he lives a hundred years, and the information that he can now pass down to his son. Information that you had, he got, now he learned a little bit more, passes it down. Okay, let's increase that lifespan to about 800 or 900 years. You don't know, you don't know what kind of technology was around when those guys. That is speculation. Let me be very clear about that. That is not I don't have a verse for that. I'm just using my mind, and it's, a lot of it is conjecture. But you don't know the kind of stuff. What my point that I'm trying to make is whatever they could produce, God had to destroy it all because of the morality, the immorality of their own heart, the wickedness of their own imagination. God said, I'm done with all this stuff. And so people say, well, I want this power. Yeah, you, you want this apostleship before you want sonship. But what good is that really going to do you? Now, let's, let's look at some scripture. Look in Luke chapter 10. I think I, I've made my point this morning. So let's look in Luke chapter 10 and look in verse. Uh, let's, uh, let's get a little bit of context. So let's look in verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible said, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall return to you again. So I think you can understand the context of where we're at. So go on down and look in verse 17. The Bible says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. You know what that is? That's power. In a, in a proper sense, that's apostleship. You go in the book of Acts and you watch the apostles operating, and they had that power the same way that the Lord did. God gave them. The Lord gave them that power. I'm not saying that when you're an apostle that you get that power, but what I'm saying is there is power with apostleship. Okay, now look at what he says. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You're going to have a hard time impressing the Lord with what you can do. Don't forget that. Boy, I read 300 pages in my Bible today. Praise the Lord. Don't forget it's hard to impress God, though. He's got it memorized. He is what you read. Amen. Verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know what the Lord said? It's more important. It's a bigger deal that you're right with me. You're my children. You're sons of God. It's more important that that's true than the fact that you can cast out these unclean spirits. Amen. Man, look at all this wonderful stuff that I can do. Well, praise the Lord. Not, not going to take away from that. That's, it is something to rejoice about. It is something to rejoice about. But the Lord knows your hearts just the same way that he knew their hearts. And he said, hang on just a second. The more important thing is that if you will, if I could apply it to you today, you're saved. See, a lot of folks have gotten away from that. Well, I'm a pastor. 
I'm an evangelist. I'm a teacher. I do this in the church. I do that in the church. I do this for the church. I do that for the church. Yeah, but are you saved? I'm not taking away from what you do. It's important. The fact that you have power to do those things is important. But Jesus said what's more important is, are you saved? It comes before being an apostle. And so, the, you know, listen, tuck this in the back of your mind. Please tuck this in the back of your mind. You know why it's more important that you put a greater emphasis on your salvation than it is on the power, than it is on what you can get accomplished for the Lord? You know why it's more important to emphasize who you are, a son, in your own mind? Why it's important is because a lot of times what you can get accomplished is not always determined by you. It's determined by the people you're dealing with. Jesus went through Jerusalem and preached and had very few people comparatively follow him. He had very, hey, listen, if he was held next to Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn or whoever else is your favorite preacher that's an idiot, if you hold, if you hold Jesus up to next to those guys, by the modern definition, Jesus would be classified not as a success, he was killed at the end of his ministry. The culmination of his ministry was his own death. Well, that don't sound too much like success. Jesus said it was. You see what I'm saying? So just, just because you've got this power, boy, you start identifying yourself with what you can get accomplished, and boy, it won't be, very, it won't be too long before you start dealing with people and they spit in your face and because you've identified with what you can get accomplished for the Lord, now you're sitting around saying, well, I guess maybe I don't, I'm really not who I was. Wasn't that Elijah's attitude? Elijah gets up there on Mount Carmel and calls fire down from heaven and chops the heads off of all of the prophets of Baal. And yet, I believe with all my heart, Elijah had it in his mind, this is going to produce a national revival. God is going to do something in Israel. God is going. He prayed. When he, when he got up there and prayed at Mount Carmel before his altar, the altar of Baal's over here, no fire. When he gets down and prays, he said, God, answer, answer me that you might turn the hearts of this people back to thee. God answered. Right there on the mount, the people got down on their face. They fell down before the fire that fell on that altar. And they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Elijah takes all those prophets of Baal down by the brook and he chops all their heads off. And the next chapter, first verse, Jezebel sends him a message, a telegram and says, I'm going to make you like those prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow morning. He didn't get the response he was looking for, and it threw him out of kilter. He gets up there on, on Mount Horeb, and he starts saying, I'm not better than my father's. Lord, take my life from me. Just kill me. I'm, a, I'm done with this stuff. See, you say, what is that? That's somebody that, that's somebody that takes their apostleship and puts it before their sonship. Apostleship is not unimportant. Your power is not unimportant. But what is more important, and you've got, this is why the preaching of the gospel is important to Christians. You've got to keep in view 
You, Christian, you have to keep in view that the most important thing in this life is the fact that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and God, in His mercy and grace, saved your soul. Your sins have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you might get to heaven, you might get to the judgment seat broken, battered, with very little to show for your life, but you're going. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. The reason you don't know that it's a big deal is because you forgot how bad hell was. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Uh, sonship comes before apostleship. And then let me say this. Go to Acts chapter 8. Service. Service comes before apostleship. Look in Acts chapter 8 and look in verse 5. Acts chapter 8 and look in verse 5. The Bible says, Acts chapter 8 verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip did, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. He's got power, doesn't he? For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. See, that's power. He got power. It's not unimportant. People are shouting, man. It's a, great, it's a great thing. Things are getting accomplished. Verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. That's power without being a son. He used sorcery. And let me just say this. That power is inferior, by the way. I think we've already covered that, but let me say that. Uh, he used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had long regard because that of long time he bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw, this is the guy that was doing sorcery, now he's a believer apparently is what the scripture said, he believes. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He's going to bribe them. Saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And you know as well as I do, that's not how you get things from God. You don't, you don't get things from God by putting things in the offering plate. And look at what Peter tells him. But Peter said unto him, verse 20, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may, forgive, may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, You've got a man here who, you've got some people, Philip, Peter, James, or Peter and John, they have the power of the apostles. And here you've got Simon, that's not Simon Peter, it's a different man from the context. He doesn't have the power of an apostle. And he wants that power. And he recognizes that a price tag is associated with it, but he got the wrong price. 
He thought it was money that he could pull out of his wallet. You know what those fellows had to do to get this apostolic power? They had to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold your place there in Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 8 and look in Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, these 11 disciples are gathered together in an upper room. Judas has died because he went out and hung himself after he betrayed the Lord. And so he went out and hung himself. He's dead. And so now they have to find somebody to replace the apostles. So here's the stipulation on who do we replace Judas with? I mean, who do we put in there? Our grandma? Who do we put in there? Pontius Pilate? No, there's somebody specific that has to go in there. It's a principled position. Well, who, who goes in there? Well, verse 21, this is, this is who has to go in there, whoever it is. Wherefore, Peter speaking, wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the, that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So here's the stipulation. When they go to find a replacement for Judas, the guy that is able to be put into that position, into that bishopric, which Peter goes on and quotes from Psalm, the guy who gets put in there is the guy who started with Jesus at the, at the baptism of John. He has to start there, and he has to follow through all the way until the ascension of Christ. Peter, uh, Judas didn't make the cut. Well, the 11 disciples apparently made the cut, and there were obviously some other men that made the cut. They just weren't the apostles. Well, now we've got to put somebody in that position. So who are we going to put in that position? Well, here's our field of candidates. Did they start with us at the baptism of John, and did they follow through with Jesus Christ all the way to his ascension? That's who we have to choose from. And they found two men, and that's, what they, that's who one of those men is who they replaced Judas with. You say, well, why are you talking about that? Because in Acts chapter 8, Here's the application to you. Here's a man who is apparently a believer. He believed, Simon. But he didn't pay the price to get the, the power of the apostle. You say, what's the price? Discipleship. You know, what he, you know what he missed? He missed sonship. He missed the ability to be led. I got two boys and I got a daughter. And you know what I do as their father? I lead them. They follow me, and that's my expectation is that they follow me. I try to lead them. Well, Simon didn't necessarily have that. Apparently, shortly after, apparently, shortly after, he gets this salvation if he genuinely gets saved, which, I mean, I don't, I don't see it any other way. Maybe you got some light on that. I, I'd be all ears to you. But it said, verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. Well, boy, it sure makes good application. There's a lot of folks that have believed, but they've never really dedicated themselves to being a disciple, but they want the power. They've never learned how to be a son. They've never learned how to take instruction. They've never learned how to be leadable. And then when they get to the place to where they want the power, they're standing around saying, hey, I'll put a hundred extra dollars in the plate every week or, you know, I'll, you know, uh, cut the church grass or I'll, whatever, whatever. You fill in the blank, but I'll do X to get this power. And God said, no, sir. The way that you get the power is first you have to be a son. God, God listen, God is not going to put his hands on you or me 
And he is not going to sanction us. God is not going to bless us if we try to get power without first being willing to be led. Let me ask you something. Can you use a mule that you can't put a bridle on and lead him? I don't, I don't know much about agriculture as far as animals, but I know this. I ain't got much use for an animal that I can't control. You take a dog that'll bite somebody at a moment's notice, uh, a lead pill will help that doggie. Uh, you can't control them. Well, for some reason, we get to a place as Christians, and maybe you're, you're at this place this morning. Maybe this is where you're at. You're wondering why. I just don't feel like I have the power of God. Well, did you skip sonship? And I, I really hope that driven home to you this morning because that's your first place. That's the first place that you have to come to. That's the first place that you have to come to. Uh, back in, uh, go over one page, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and here's Saul's conversion. We looked at it last Sunday. Acts chapter 9, and even reviewed it this morning. Paul is knocked off his feet and... He says, who art thou, Lord? And he said, the voice comes back, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he says, okay, what you want me to do? You know, at that moment, that is verse 6. Let, let's just read verse 6, Acts 9, verse 6. He, trembled, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise, go into the city, and I'll make you an apostle. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He said, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. By the way, he was told by another person. God didn't give him no more instructions. He went and told Ananias and said, hey, when he comes, this is what I want you to do. And Paul was sitting around for three days blind, really, in a sense, helpless. <laughs> if you can't see, that kind of eliminates a lot of possibilities for you. Yes, sir. And so here Paul is. But see... The point from which Paul becomes a son to the point at which where he becomes an apostle, which would be over in Acts chapter 13. Hold your place in Acts 9 and look over in Acts 13. Watch, watch what the scripture says. Acts 13 verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That's who you know as Paul. So, so Saul joins himself to the church at Antioch, and you know what he does? He just serves. Saul gets converted in Acts 9, and the first question out of his mouth is, what do you want me to do? The Lord says, go over here. I got somebody that's going to come see you. And it'll be told you what, you what you'll do. Well, look in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. After he receives his sight, after, after Saul, who is Paul, receives his sight, Acts 9, verse 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He just got busy right where he was at. No call to the mission field. Paul was the greatest missionary that ever lived. Yeah, but he was something before, before he was ever a missionary. Which missionary is not in the Bible, by the way. That really irks some Baptists, but I don't care because it ain't in the Bible. I'm not against missions, but it just ain't in the Bible. You say, well, what should we do with missionaries? Read the book of Acts. 
Amen. It's a great study. But anyways, he just started right where he was at. He just started right where he was at. Look at verse 29, Acts 9, 29. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slave. He's still preaching. And then look in Acts chapter 13, 1, we, we already read it. He said there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And verse 2, Saul's one of them. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. There's them being sent out. There's their apostleship. God gives them power for a specific responsibility. But before the power ever comes, before the apostleship ever comes, Saul's busy about the Lord's work. Brother Nathan, how do I get, how do I get the power of God on my life? Well, the gospel's the power of God. There's the power itself. But then I will say this, God's not going to put any power on you if you don't need it. Are you doing anything? Well, if you're not doing anything, why would God give you any power to do nothing? That's a waste. God's not a waster. Remember when he fed the 5,000? Five loaves, two fishes. Broke it and passed it all out. And then what did he tell his disciples? I'll just tell them to put it in the wastebasket. No, sir. He violated the United States Health Department code. He said, go and gather up the fragments that remain. How would you like for your local buffet to do that? You done with them lima beans? Thank you. <laughs> go and scrape it off back in the little bin up at, at the buffet. I guess if it's the Lord, you can trust him. Lord can kill them germs. Some of y'all never eat at a buffet again. Hey, hey, gathered up 12 baskets. The Lord's not a waster. Well, see, I want power. Okay. Let me put it this way. Create a need for that power. Create a need. You know why some folks never see God's power in answered prayer? Because they never pray about anything. There's no need. There's no need to see God's power in prayer. God, God can really answer some heavy prayer requests. But he won't. I mean, he, he might in his grace, but the God-ordained order, the God-ordained way is you pray about it first. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and ye shall receive. Knock and it'll be open to you. Well, you bypass that. You won't ever see God's power. Well, the same way. If you want this power of apostleship, then get into the place to where you need the power of apostleship. And that place is in service, doing something. The Lord Jesus, I said it earlier, went about doing good works. You go about doing good works. And you'll come up in a situation to where, God, I need you to help. I need you to do something. God, we need you to answer. And God will be right there because God's a faithful God. I can't say what he'll do. I can't say how he'll answer it. But I know he'll answer it. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, I didn't really get through all that what I had hoped to, but Lord, I believe, God, that was what you wanted, and so we trust you with it. God, help us, Lord, this morning, God, to recognize who we are as Christians, Lord. And Lord, this study has been a great blessing to me. God, it's been a great help, Lord, revisiting these things. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to recognize who we are in your sight. And God, help us to be, help us to be. God, you made us something, Lord, and we truly are. We are being that, but God, Lord, help us to put that into action. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
Amen.